Well, good morning. And, and you know, I have been here many times, but I'm still learning new things about Hillside. Like, for example, um, you guys have turkey at Easter, according to Marty. <laughs> Sorry, Marty has turkey at Easter. <laughs> it's like, I think, isn't it ham? Don't you say? Yeah. But I know, and it does get worse because I'm also supposed to announce that I'm speaking at your men's retreat <laughs> uh, coming up in June 12th to 14th, which is going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. We're calling it uh, A Few Good Men. I came up with the title myself. No, it's from a movie. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, A Few Good Men, broken men. They're not heroes, but uh, they're guys that... Uh, who knew Jesus, and they interacted and uh, worked out their faith. And we're going to be covering a whole range of history, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So that's on uh, June 12th to 14th, right, Misty? Yeah, thank you. And this morning, I get the uh, privilege, the uncomfortable privilege, of finishing off a series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is what you guys have been walking through for for the last while. And it is uncomfortable because of the words Jesus leaves us with at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you have a Bible, turn to the book of Matthew, and we are going to begin in verse 12 in chapter 7. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. So if you have a Bible or if you have it on your iPad or whatever, just turn there, click there, and this is what we're going to look at. In Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 12, Jesus says these words. He says, So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. It's the golden rule. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And few are finding it. In verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name. And do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you wonder, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a, a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. Oh, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Lord Jesus You're most welcome here. You're not a philosophy. You're not an idea. But you're personal and you're present. And these are your teachings. And so open up our eyes to see. Unstop our ears to hear. 
Soften our hearts to receive and grant us courage to respond to what you say to us this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen. So, we've made it to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And if you've been reading the Sermon on the Mount that runs through, you know, Matthew uh, chapter 5, right through what we just read now, you'll recognize that, you know, Jesus lays out a pretty incredible vision of his kingdom. And it's, it's a vision, it's, it's a powerful vision of a transformed humanity, of a transformed world. And yet when we get to the end of his sermon, we are faced with what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls the great divide. Because at the very end of his sermon, he says, you know what, you got a choice that you need to make. It's an absolute choice. And, and in our culture, especially here in the West Coast, the idea of absolute choices doesn't fit that well with us. And many, many people would, would probably re- prefer Jesus to end his sermon with maybe the golden rule. And, you know, do unto others as you would have done unto them. You know, it, it, that's a good way to end. And then maybe open things up for questions. You know, so how does that sit with you? Any feedback? Any pushback? But that's not what Jesus does. He leaves us with a choice. And, and, and that's difficult for us to take because even if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, when we read the Sermon on the Mount, if we're honest, we often treat the Sermon on the Mount kind of like a salad bar. There are elements of the Sermon on the Mount that's just like, yeah, that's awesome. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor. Oh, I'm with you on that. Giving to the needy. Um, marriage. Reconciling with my brother. Yeah, there's some difficult parts. And so sometimes, even as Christians, we we pick and choose what we like and leave other parts behind. But here we have, at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus laying out a razor-sharp divide. He says, you're going to have to choose. And, and, And it gets even more uncomfortable because he says, you know what? You have to respond to the Sermon on the Mount. You have to decide what you're going to do with what I said. And, and, and it becomes painfully clear that Jesus, when he lays out the Sermon on the Mount, he really means for you and me to respond to this. And he has the authority to command us to respond. Look what Jesus says. And you see this in, 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 in verse 21 in the use of his pronouns. I, me, my, mine. He says, he refers to my father. The, the, the living God of the universe as his father. His will, Jesus' will, is perfectly aligned with the will of my father, he says. And then he says this, and this is tough. He says, you and I will be judged on whether or not We do these words of mine, Jesus says. And and, and the judgment that we may face would be this, that you and I will be cast away from his presence. I mean, these are pretty big words, right? And then Jesus describes himself in verse 21 as, as Lord. 
And uh, it's an interesting use of the word Lord. Yes, the word Lord in Greek is kurios. Say that with me, kurios. It's easy to remember just in curious that he's Lord. No, Um, curious, right? Now, the word kurios can be translated as sir or mister or stuff like that. That's true. But Jesus, in use of the word kurios, he uses it twice. Lord, Lord, now. We can't, sometimes as Christians, oh, Lord, will you please? When we use the word Lord, it's a, it's a loaded word. Especially when it's used twice. In, in, in first century Roman time, the word kurios was the word that was used to describe the highest political leaders of the time. If you were to enter a shopping mall in the first century, you're going into first century Coquitlam Center, before you walk through those doors you would have to take a pinch of incense and you'd have to burn it and you'd have to say these words, Kaiser et Curious, Caesar is Lord. And so Curios was the highest level of a political leader. But for the Jews, it was even more. Because for, for, for Jews, you would not say the word God, Yahweh. You wouldn't say that because of fear that you would be violating the third commandment, taking the Lord's name in vain. And so they shortened the name, and then they eventually just said, let's use a different name, let's use the word Adonai, which translated into Greek is the word what? Curious. Yeah. And so when Jesus uses this word, it is a loaded word. It means he is sovereign, and he has authority. No wonder at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the people, they were astonished at his teaching. Because why? He taught with what? With authority. And so we come to the uncomfortable realization at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that what Jesus lays out are not friendly suggestions. But they are commands that he lays out. And do you know what? He has the authority to command it. And then he comes at this with, from a, a couple of angles. In, in verse 13 and 14, he puts it out. He says, you know what? There are two gates. There are two, there are two roads. And there, there's a narrow one. And then there's a broad road. The broad way. And the broad way is a popular way. It is, it is a way of the majority. It is a way of the opinion polls. It is popular. Why? Here's why the, the broad way is popular. This is the way that most people walk. It's popular because, you know what? You can bring whatever you want on that road. It's big enough to take all your baggage. You got baggage? Bring it along. You got habits that maybe you should break? Doesn't matter. There's there's plenty of room. Bring those habits. You got pride? There's room for pride. You have some internet sites that you enjoy visiting. Bring it along. It's not an issue. There's room for anything. You got habits, you got pride, you got your issues with money, your issues with sexuality, all those things. There is lots of room on Broadway, right? Now, the narrow gate, Jesus warns us, is not going to be popular. He says, few are finding it. And I think that's a good warning for us as a church. I, I had a, my professor in, in the 1990s was um, Eugene Peterson, the guy who wrote uh, the, the message and wrote different things. And he talked about one time in, in, in one of his classes, he says, you know what? Christianity, in its truest sense, has never, ever really been popular. And 
And I think that's a good warning, especially for us, for pastors who kind of like to count people and, oh, how many people are coming to this event? How many people showed up there? How many, how many, how many? The reality is, is that Christianity, in, in its truest sense, will probably always be a bit of a minority movement in the world. Yes, Jesus desires, along with all the apostles, that many would come to the saving knowledge of the truth, but he also acknowledges in the end that few are finding it. Now, this is really important to get. Jesus talks about two roads, right? There's a broad way and there's a narrow way. There's a wide gate, there's a narrow gate. This is the way I've often understood this teaching to be done. The broad way is the way of the world, right? That's the way of secularism. That's the way everybody's going. As Christians... We need to be over here because the narrow gate is over here and few are finding it. And so we need to be off on the margins while those secularists are doing their thing over here. We're over here on the margins. That's what it means to be a Christian. I'm not sure if that's what the teaching is. I think a better way, and I'm drawing this uh, from a couple people, one guy in particular, Howard Skinner, and I think he's right on on this, is do you know where the narrow gate is? The narrow gate isn't somewhere far off, tucked in the corner. But the narrow gate is smack dab in the middle of the broad way. The difference being, instead of going this way, you're going this way. Because everything Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount is about life. And as Christians, we are in this world, right? And so he deals with marriage, he deals with sexuality, he deals with anger, he deals with money, he deals with all the things of life. It's all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. The difference being, as Christians, instead of going this way, we're going this way. I think that's very helpful. See, the Sermon on the Mount does not call me to be a monk on a mountain or to be part of a sect way off on my own. But to be a Christian is to be countercultural. And so the challenge that Jesus calls us into is he brings us into the thick of the stuff of the world. You and I are to be in the world, but not of it, right? We are to be in the thick of society, but there's a distinct difference in how we think and what we do. My friend Andrew Demoline puts it this way. He says, Christians, we should look like everyone else, but be a bit weird. <laughs> I think that's pretty good, too. There's always going to be something a bit weird about being a Christian, being a Christ follower. That's why all attempts to be a cool Christian will always fail. Which I feel good because I was never cool. Um, So the narrow way runs right down the middle of the broad way. Except that in the broad way, that direction leads to destruction and bondage. Where the narrow way, Jesus teaches, leads to life. Now why does the narrow way lead to life? This is also very, very important. It's because the narrow way is the inherent way. It's the authoritative way. It is a way where life is found. Now, too often as Christians, this is how we, 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 we approach the ethical teachings of Scripture. You want to be a Christian, you need to follow what the Bible says. The Bible says, don't do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. We, we, we follow those things, and therefore, I'm a good Christian. Right? You don't do that, and, and, and you're not a good Christian. But what Jesus is teaching is so much more profound than that. When we talk about 
the way that leads to life. We're not saying you should just be a Christian. What we're saying is that, or what Jesus is revealing in his word, is that when you and I walk in the way of the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, when we walk that way, we're walking in a way does, that doesn't just make us being, be Christians, but it makes us human. When we walk in the way of Jesus, we become more fully human. We become the, the people that we were created to be. You see the difference? This is key. You got to get this. Because at the end of the day, if, if we're just being Christians because, of, hey, we want to be Christians, people always face, you know, respond with the, with the question in the bar. Well, says who? You want to be a Christian? I don't want to be a Christian. Who cares? You do your Christian thing. I'm going to do my own thing. Let's call it even. The reality, what, what Christianity reveals is that when you walk with Jesus in the narrow way, that is a way where we become fully, not fully Christian, but fully human. And so that is why, that is why when, when, when we talk about obeying the Ten Commandments, you're not just following some moral code, but you're aligning your life with the way of life that protects life and sets it free. And so it is a broad way that is imposed upon us. It is a broad way that keeps us in bondage and will destroy life. And that is why the broad way, the broad gate is so pressurizing. That's why in the, the world that we live in, anxiety runs rampant. Distraction, fear, disorientation, why there's burnout, why people try to numb or to hide from this uneasy sense that something's deeply wrong here. The broad way does not fit the species. The broad way will always depersonalize and dehumanize. That's why when Jesus teaches, we don't harbor anger towards our brother and sister in the Sermon on the Mount. That's why we need to be reconciled with our enemies. That is why the only appropriate context for sexual relations is between a man and a woman in a covenant committed marriage. Anything else does not fit the species. This is what Jesus is teaching. That's why we don't carry out revenge against another. That's why we give to the needy in secret. That's why we fast in a world of consumption. That's why we choose not to be anxious in a world of fear and anxiety. Why would you want to live any other way? Jesus doesn't say, you know what, you, 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 you walk the broad way and I will destroy you. He says, you walk the broad way, it may seem right, but in the end, where is it going to lead you? What does Proverbs say? There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death, destruction. And this is key. This is absolutely key. It's a huge warning to us today, especially as you and I face increasing pressure to change our morals so that we end up on the quote-unquote right side of history. I had a person this past week challenge me and just say, you know what, you keep your ideas, you keep your ethics, you're going to end up on the wrong side of history. I'm like, man, I don't even know what that means. And I don't think it really matters if you're on the right side or wrong side of history. What does matter is whether or not you're walking in the way that leads to life. And so you and I, we must always fight the temptation 
to walk the broad way. We must always fight the temptation to look over our shoulders and see if anybody's coming with us as we walk the narrow way. There's a great scene, and it's obligatory that I quote C.S. Lewis in the sermon. I just have to. Um, but there's a great scene in, um, in one of the chronicles of Narnia called Prince Caspian. And there's a scene where Lucy and her, her um, brothers and her sister and, and Trumpkin, the dwarf, um, they're, they're on this journey and they come to this crossroads. And there's a, there's a river in front of them, and they have to get across. And so there's a highway, the way to the left, which looks steep and looked difficult. And then there's a low way, which looked like they're going to be able to get across the river. Lucy looks across the river, and she sees Aslan, who's a Christ figure. And it's very clear that Aslan's saying, you need to take the left way. And so she tells her brother, she tells the group, we need to go this way. This is what Aslan's saying. And they're saying, well, we never saw Aslan. It's a lot easier going this way. And she says, no, we need to go this way. So it comes to a vote, and they ended up taking the wrong way, which ends up almost killing them. It becomes much more difficult than they thought. The very next day, Aslan encounters Lucy, and she says, yes, she says, I saw you. And, you know, those guys, they all wanted to go. I wanted to follow you, but what was I to do? And Aslan looks at her, and she goes, you don't mean to say that I was to follow you even if it meant leaving the group? He goes, yeah. And I think it's a great picture that even when the rest of the crowd is saying, look, this is the way to go, part of following Jesus means, you know what? Even if nobody's behind me, I'm going to be following this way. So the narrow way, what is the narrow way? Well, look at verse 21. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The key word is the word do. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man. And so the narrow way involves hearing, Yes, it involves saying, yes, but it ultimately involves doing. And that's what we see in Jesus' parable about the two foundations, don't we? Both men hear Jesus' words, right? Both builders hear Jesus' words. Both builders are members of the Christian community. Both hear the words of Jesus, both go to church, both buy Christian books, they listen to Christian music. In fact, the two builders that we come across, when things are going well, you can't tell the difference. They look exactly the same. Where does the, when, when's the difference exposed? When the rains come, the winds blow, right? The re- one thing this teaches us is that regardless of where, <laughs> as, as Christians, the rains and the storm will come. Stuff happens. But when that comes, the foundations that they built their life on is exposed. One, it it exposes that he's built his life on the rock. The other shows that he built his life on the sand. And do you know where I see this? I do many funerals. I do, in fact, in the past two months I've done five funerals. I did five funerals in two weeks. And I'll tell you where it shows up. When I do a funeral, and no matter how tragic the death was, if the family 
if they're, and, and the person who died, if they're followers of Jesus, they grieve, but there's a difference. There's this almost like a bass note. And, and the word I would use to, that, that, that supports them even in their grief, the word that I would use to support, uh, the, that, that under, underlies the whole experience is the word joy. That even in their grief, there is joy. The family that experienced grief but has no faith in Jesus, do you know what I see? I see a lot of grabbing. And in and, and the families that have no faith in Jesus become the most superstitious families. Even if they're atheists, they become the most superstitious. And be like, you know, it's raining today, Pastor. That's a good sign, right? Uh, you know, I, I, bet, I bet he's looking down, having a drink, and just laughing, having a great old time. There's a huge difference. And it's a difference that we see when the storms come. All the foundations are exposed. And according to Jesus, the Kyrios, the Lord, there are two foundations for our lives. Hearing the word and doing it, or hearing the word and doing things our own way. And the one who builds on sand, according to one guy, Dale Bruner, he puts it this way, he says, are Christians who believe that Jesus' words are important enough to hear, but not realistic enough to listen, to, to live. And then we hit verse 22. This is a puzzling verse. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name? There's a warning for us. You would think that prophesying, casting out demons, doing miracles in the name of Jesus would be a pretty good sign that you got something going with Jesus, right? And here's a warning. Jesus says, you can do all these things in my name and still miss me. Yes, to, to prophesy or to, to, to do miracles or to cast out demons. Yes, this is all the sign that Jesus is at work. Sure. But it doesn't mean he's Lord of your life. Jesus can work through anyone. I mean, he can speak through an ass. He can speak through a donkey. He can speak through anyone. Right? Half the kings that, uh, you know, praise God or whatever, or, or God did amazing things through in the book of Daniel, they, they weren't followers of, of, of God. God can do amazing things through whoever he wants to. And so just because some amazing things are happening through you, in Jesus' name, is no guarantee that he is Lord of your life. There is a warning. That's a big warning. So how do we know we belong to him? Well, the proof that we belong to Jesus is found with what we do with his words. And so has his word produced fruit in you? What difference has Jesus made to your day-to-day -day life? Is there poverty in spirit? Right? We go back to the Beatitudes. Is there, is there mourning over spiritual poverty? Is there meekness? Is there hunger for righteousness? Is there a desire for purity? A desire for shalom? A desire to keep your marriage sanctified? A desire to love and forgive your enemy? Now some of you might be thinking, well, that sounds a lot like salvation by works, David. Um, well, no. It's, it's in complete sync with, with what uh, Paul teaches. 
Because Paul, Paul points out, he says, in the final accounting, it will be our deeds that will most clearly reveal where our faith lies, right? And the illustration, I love this illustration from, uh, from Daryl Johnson. You may have heard it before. Uh, but he gives an example of uh, somebody going to a doctor, right? And going to a doctor because uh, she's quite sick or he's quite sick. And, and they go to the best doctor in the lower mainland. And the doctor says this, yes, you're sick. This is what you need to do. Listen very carefully. You need to take these two pills every day, morning and night. You need to stop eating junk food. You need to start exercising. You do those things and you will get well. And so two weeks goes by and the guy comes back to the doctor and the doctor says, how are you feeling? He says, I I still feel sick. Well, did you take those two pills morning and night? Well, I I took one pill (laughs) at around noon sometimes. Well, did you cut out junk food? Well, I did. I did. Sort of. I mean, I went to McDonald's a bunch of times. But I didn't have french fries. Right? That's pretty good. Okay. Well, did, did you exercise? Well, I meant to. I drove to the gym. But it was closed. So I drove to McDonald's. But anyhow. Um, and the doctor said, well, come on. Didn't I tell you, this is what you need to do in order to get well? Don't you believe me? And he can say, of course I believe you. You're the best doctor in the lower mainland. I tell all my friends about you. I, 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 I say, you want to see a doctor? Go see this doctor. She's the best. The best doctor you're ever going to find. I love this doctor. And the doctor can say, well, if I'm so good, why don't you listen to me? And isn't that our experience? I think one of our, the characteristics of our modern world or our postmodern world, whatever you want to call it, is that you and I can believe one thing very clearly in our mind, but do something completely different. There's a disconnect between what we think, what we believe to be true, and how we live. And so this morning, we come face to face with the scandalon, the stumbling block, Jesus Christ. He lays out the Sermon on the Mount, and he leaves us with this question, what are we going to do with this? This morning, what are you going to do with this? Do you believe that he's good? And this is a big question. Do you believe that Jesus really wants the best for you? Do you believe he's smarter than you? Sometimes we just close our ears to his teaching. I, I came across this past, this past week something that just blew my mind. There was an American Baptist president of a college who said these words last week. He says, you know what? As Christians... We cannot let Jesus' sexual ethics interfere with what we know to be right. I know. Let me say it again. American Baptist president of a a well-known college, he said last week, as Christians, 
We cannot let Jesus' sexual ethics interfere with what we know to be right. You know what? Only when we believe that Jesus is as good as his word says he is, that he desires the best for me, that he is smarter than I am, that he's right, only then will I trust him and do what he asks me to do. But here's the thing. The moment I, I allow Jesus to speak and say all the things he says in the Sermon on the Mount, but I do something else, then if I'm honest, I have allowed someone or something else to be curious, to be Lord in my life. It could be culture, it could be technology, it could be sex, it could be money, it could be family, fear, religion. Something else is Lord, not Jesus the Lord. So what do we do with all this? The last thing I want you to do is say, all right, I guess I've got to start following the Sermon on the Mount, got to do what he says, and here goes. Right? If you try, if you leave this place and say, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a shot. I'm going to do the Sermon on the Mount. And you try to do this on your own, I've shared this before, the theological word to describe your condition is toast. Right? <laughs> you're toast. You're, you're dead in the water. Because you can't do it. You cannot do it. That is why we have Easter. Because the whole purpose of Easter is to remind us that we cannot do this on our own. And that through Jesus' life, teaching, death, resurrection, and ascension, the Holy Spirit descends, who is the very empowering presence of Jesus, who enables us to do what we cannot do on our own. And so our posture, if you want to respond to Jesus' teaching, is not, all right, I got it. No, 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 no. Our posture is, Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. By your grace, empower me, transform me into the person you want me to be. And by your grace, I will walk step by step with you until I become more fully human. But it's all grace. We can't, our starting point is, is blessed are the poor in spirit and recognize we don't got this. And only then will we live the life that Paul describes in 1 first, first Timothy where we, where we can grab hold of the life that is really life that we've been created and redeemed to live. Does that make sense? Well, let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is your word, and we confess right from the get-go that we've often treated your word like a salad bar. We've chosen what we've liked and discarded what we haven't liked. And though in our, with our lips we'd say that you're smarter than we are, in our actions we take our own advice ahead of yours. And so we come back to you and we say, Lord, have mercy upon us. Please forgive us. We really do believe you're smarter than we are, that you are good, and that in you, and as we walk in your way, the narrow way, only then will we become fully human. And that anything else along the broad way, along the wide way, though it promises so much, will only lead to death. And so grant us the courage to not only believe what you have said, but have the courage to do what you have called us to do. 
And our starting point is recognizing we can't do this on our own. And by your grace, you, your very presence in us, empowers us and enables us to live the life that you have given us through your life, death, and resurrection. And so we praise you and we glorify you and our desires to walk with you. And we, we ask all these things, not in our own strength, but in your name. Amen. I thought we can conclude with uh, saying the Lord's Prayer together. Now, I know there's probably like seven translations out there that we all have different versions. Let's go old school and, uh, you know, go right back to King James and we'll do Our Father who art in heaven. And we'll talk about trespasses and we'll even add the end for thine is the kingdom, okay? Are we good with that? All right, let's stand together as we say it together. Our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in his grace. Amen.